Well, good morning, everyone. Add my welcome to uh, Lori's and Deborah Ann's this morning. We're so glad that you are here. Let me just extend it just a little bit more. On this uh, summery Sunday, uh, what a week of heat. Um, but today is much nicer, and I'm so glad that you are here. Um, years ago, a uh, preacher I love to hear said, you know, there's a sense that we should be surprised every Sunday morning that people uh, show up because there's so many options. And I'm so glad that you showed up today. And uh, I believe that God is going to, has already blessed us together and will continue to bless us together as we reflect on God's word. Uh, would you uh, pray with me? Father God, thank you that you have brought us here today. Thank you for these uh, songs that have already spoken truth into our hearts and minds, and we have offered them back to you and worship. Thank you for these great truths that we've been able to reflect on together in song. And I pray that as we continue in some of those themes uh, through your word, that you would continue to speak to us by your spirit. Father, your word says that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of them. So cause us to be in tune with your presence here with us. Maybe a word, maybe uh, a word that we've already heard, maybe just a particular phrase, something that your spirit would use that we need to hear today. For you know each one of us, you know us intimately in reality, you know us better than we know ourselves. So cause us simply to be open to your loving and generous and gracious presence here today that you may speak into our lives. For in the name of Jesus, I would pray it. Amen. Well, today we are uh, launching into a, a new series for the months of July and August uh, that we have entitled Designed to Thrive. Uh, I don't know what may come to mind when you think of that word thrive, but here are a few dictionary synonyms, flourish, uh, grow vigorously, prosper, blossom, develop well, experience vitality, do well, and, and so on. Uh, Tyler and I simply settled on this uh, word thrive. It's not an uncommon word or concept today. Uh, maybe one of the most common uses of the word is when we're describing a, a, a baby or a child. As parents, we want our children to thrive. We want them growing and developing and becoming all that they were intended to be. And that kind of begins to get to the essence of this series, Designed to Thrive. It's our firm belief that each of us are meant to thrive, and even more, designed to thrive. And that the place where we can discover what that's to really look at, it look like and receive guidance about, is in the teachings of Scripture. 
I think each of us, though, innately do desire to thrive. There's, I, I think, something planted in, in each of us, a, a longing, a desire, even a passion to thrive, to, to do well, to, to succeed in life. Now, I want to make clear the obvious that that can change in, in various seasons of our lives. And there's a lot of kind of seasons even represented in this room. What it means to thrive as a newborn baby is different than a 7-year-old or a 17-year-old or a 37-year-old or a 67 or an 87-year-old. Uh, this past week... Uh, I spent a couple days with our uh, son and daughter-in-law who have a five-month-old girl, Taylor. Then later in the week, uh, we had my uh, 95-year-old mother-in-law staying with us. Clearly, thriving does not mean quite the same thing at either end of those spectrums. Although sometimes it can feel like there are more similarities between 5 and 95 in terms of need for care than maybe a 35-year-old. But anyway, you get the point, right? It can look different. But whatever stage, whatever stage of life we are at, there is a desire to thrive, to be, to become even more what we are intended to be. And that gets at this other word in our series title, designed to thrive. We are making this bold claim revealed in the scriptures that we are not here by chance. We are not simply a chance result of billions of years of evolution but that there is a designer, namely God. And he not only designed the world, but designed you and me. I want to just take a, a, a couple minutes to consider this foundational teaching with you. Genesis 1.1 begins with these orienting words to the whole of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, now, my personal understanding is that Genesis 1 is not so much about the how as the who. Uh, scripture from beginning to end establishes and proclaims that this is God's world. And, and he is both its creator and sustainer. And of course, Genesis goes on to proclaim that at the pinnacle of God's creation, God made humans in his image. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Uh, scripture teaches that we are distinct from the rest of creation. Because we are intended to be God's image bearers. God created a world to thrive and he created us to thrive in it. 
God designed a world of, of beauty and harmony. But of course, something went very wrong. And Scripture's straight-up teaching is that sin entered the world. It's referred to as the fall of mankind, and it impacted and continues to impact everything, everything, from the environment to our relationships to our work to our health. Say that everything we see, touch, and experience in some way has been impacted by sin. We live in a fallen world, which is why now thriving is not automatic. It's why maybe you today are not thriving or not thriving in a certain area of your life. But the good news is, and the good news that we're going to explore together over these next few weeks, is that God has a plan. God always has a plan. And it's a plan that actually touches every area of our lives. And we're going to be looking at just some of those areas in the next few weeks how we can thrive in this fallen, challenging, and sometimes mixed up world. And today, I'm really looking at something very foundational and basic about how we are to orient our lives in some key ways if we are to thrive. And we're going to look at a few verses of Scripture that I believe really shape in a very fundamental way how we are to consider our lives, think about our lives, orient our lives so that we can thrive. And it's a passage of Scripture that I personally come back to over and over again because I think it is so significant. Let me read the passage and then dig in. Just three verses. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And in that I want to explore three orienting truths uh, with you. And the first is that to thrive God's way, we have to orient ourselves to grace. It is by grace you have been saved. This is not only the first, but the most important. Christianity and the Christian life is first and foremost about discovering and then living in the reality of grace. And the challenging reality is that even many Christians, I think, don't really understand 
and live in the significance of grace. And I'll come back to that in a moment. But earlier, I stated that the obvious reality that I expect we all see and feel and experience that we live in this fallen world because of sin. But that God had a plan. Grace is God's plan. Grace is God's plan. And the pinnacle of this grace is the gift of Jesus Christ who came to this world, died for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could receive the gift of God's Spirit. And that is the the whole context of these very important verses we're looking at today. Just a couple verses earlier, in the same chapter, verse 4 and 5, Paul puts it this way, which I think is important. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, the implications of this grace, this gift of God, this provision through Jesus Christ are actually breathtaking. I think sometimes if you've been around church for a while, when, you, when we talk about grace, uh, we kind of primarily talk about forgiveness. And forgiveness is amazing. But God's grace isn't only about forgiveness. That's a part of it. God's grace, I think, in the larger picture is this gift of new life, what these verses describe as being made alive in Christ. You see, God has a plan for us to thrive, and it is through this grace, this transformative work of God in our lives, being made alive in him, spiritual birth, spiritual renewal, alive to God. Well, how does this grace come to us? That's important. Verse 8 says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, through faith. Faith is the act of trusting in this grace. It's our response to this good news, this provision, this revelation that we have been given in Jesus, that he came to give us and do for us. It's it's opening our hearts and minds to this truth that we are actually, apart from him, lost in our sins, dead in our sins, that we need to be rescued, that we need to be saved, that we need to be delivered. It is the acknowledgement that we cannot truly thrive apart from grace. But Paul then gets at something that I think is so important to hear and settle in our souls. He continues in this verse, and this not from yourselves, It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul is making crystal clear this point, 
there is nothing in our salvation that is owing to us. There is nothing in our salvation that is owing to us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. And even the wanting it is an act of grace. One writer about a century ago put it this way. Let a man be abandoned by God and he is absolutely hopeless. It is the voice of God that arouses, that awakens, that causes a man to think and inquire. It is the power of God that gives strength to act. It is that same power that makes provision for the need of the new life, the new life in Christ. And that is the thing that followers of Christ need to revisit over and over and over again. For if you are a follower of Christ, then you likely know what I'm talking about, that we so easily lose sight of grace and begin in some subtle ways to think that salvation kind of depends on me. That is about my moral effort or my goodness or my discipline or my religious activity. No, says Paul. Even your act of believing is a work of God in you. Why is that so important to grasp? Because pride is our great spiritual enemy. Pride tends to look to me rather than to Christ. Pride seeks to reserve some glory for ourselves rather than totally for Christ. And pride actually keeps us from a full surrender to Christ. Pride keeps us also from the full joy of grace that I can rest with certainty and confidence in his love and his love alone. See, if I begin to think that in some way I earn my salvation, then I also begin to think that I can lose it. Thriving in grace, you see, is this settled assurance, a settled assurance that I know, that I know, that I know that I'm saved because it doesn't depend on me anymore. It simply depends on grace. I am his child. I am his reconciled son or daughter who loves me beyond my comprehension. And he has made me alive by his indwelling spirit. The wonder of grace. And to thrive, we must orient our lives daily to that amazing grace. 
I would encourage you every day to celebrate grace. Every day reflect that you are alive in Christ solely because of what he has done for you. But there's more. There's more. Verse 10 begins, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Uh, the New Living Translation, another tra modern translation of the Bible puts it this way, for we are God's masterpiece and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Thriving requires a right self-perspective, the God perspective. Uh, now I expect that most of us when our, as parents, when our children were born, think that they were the most beautiful and wonderful little babies that we have ever seen. Uh, when my children were born, and now the joy of being a grandfather, you, you look at that new life and you're simply blown away. And I think that captures just a little bit about what Paul is saying in this passage. That we are God's handiwork, his masterpiece. The actual Greek word translated handiwork here is poema, from which we get our English word poem. I think that's so cool. Your, your life is God's God's poem, God's handiwork. You're God's masterpiece. God has designed you and me. Now, clearly, Paul is making allusion to the original creation and, and, and is saying that those who have come to faith in Christ are kind of like twice created. We are physically part of the created order, but in Christ we are recreated, created new. And that original creation, Scripture tells us, was very good, but because of sin, marred, broken, fallen. But Christ, you see, makes us new again, and in Christ we are his masterpiece. Try and let that sink in. You are God's masterpiece. You are not, you are not defined by your flaws, by your imperfections, by your foolish sins, or even by at times your rebellion. You see, we are like children who have been playing in the mud and we're in dirt from head to toe. But Christ has taken up his children and has washed us and made us clean. And we're beautiful again in his sight. We are God's masterpiece. But again, we need to begin each day with that reminder by grace, I'm God's masterpiece. Because that's not the message we hear in our world. In a world where so often defined by either our most recent failures or successes. We are defined by what others think of us. Either our popularity or our critics. 
or we're defined by our wealth or the things we possess, the things we accomplish, and no wonder, no wonder, no wonder people are not thriving. No wonder people are filled with insecurity and overcome with anxiety because all those things are fleeting, temporary. God says in the midst of that, regardless, regardless of that, you're his masterpiece, and he loves you. We long, we long to know that the God who created us and created this world loves you, loves you, and you're his masterpiece. And that brings us to the third wonderful orienting truth of these verses. But we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I think one of the misunderstandings about the Christian life, from the outside at least, is it really is simply about the things that we do or even the th worse, the things that we don't do. And I've spent a fair bit of time reflecting on what I believe Scripture teaches about the nature of the Christian life, and that is that it is first about what Christ has done, the wonder of grace, and then out of that, the an, an understanding of who we are, how God sees us, and then an outflow to our doing. Our doing is very important. And we're going to consider that a little bit now, but I want to make the point that it is secondary. In a world where we are often defined or find our worth by what we do, Scripture turns that on its head and says our worth and value is who we are, whose we are, because we belong to God. And he says, he defines us and says, you are his masterpiece. But as God grants us strength day by day, we are to be doing and in fact, this verse gives some pretty significant weight to that doing. For the doing that we are to be doing is not merely something that I've thought up and think is a good idea. But as Paul puts it, the good works God has prepared in advance for us to do. That is telling us that as God sovereignly guides the world, there are things that he wants you and I to be doing that he has actually designed us to do. And thriving involves actually doing them. Now again, my main purpose today is laying out these fundamental principles about how we're to orient our lives. And this third orientation is, is this very basic knowledge, mindset, orientation that God has designed each of us with a purpose in his kingdom plan. And that means, my friends, that the doing of the Christian life does involve more than showing up once a week for a service of worship and 
maybe attending a connections group. Those are very important disciplines in the Christian life, but that isn't the good works that Paul is speaking of here. Now, good works is an all-encompassing term which will work out differently in each of our lives. But we are to be certain of this. If you're a follower of Christ, if you have received his grace and know him and are walking with him, then there is purpose and purposes for your life. Those may evolve, change, even quite dramatically in the various seasons of our lives. But we are to live each day with an orienting perspective that God has a purpose for our lives. He has good work that he has prepared in advance for us to do. Now, just to get a little bit more specific about how to think about this, if you continue to read this particular letter to the Ephesians, which I would encourage you to do, uh, Paul is going to talk about the importance of three things, the church, the family, and then our, our, our work outside the home. And each of those, I suggest, are very important arenas where we are engaged with the good work of living out the Christian life. But let me tell you something. Paul elevates the place of the church in the will of God to a place that is unparalleled to everything else. There is nothing more important going on in planet Earth than the church. And if you don't have, as a follower of Christ, a passion for the church to be vibrant and healthy and engaged with what it needs to be engaged with and thinking through how you can contribute to that, be a part of that, then you will not be in tune with the heart and mind of God and you will not be flourishing the way God would want you to be flourishing. Now, of course, we would all like, or at least we think we would like, if God would just, just give us a blueprint for our lives <laughs> and, and the good works he has for us, or, or at least maybe an easy-to-understand-to-do list that I could just kind of go through and check it off one by one. It's not how it works, is it? Uh, rather, the Scriptures present Jesus to us as the shepherd, the shepherd who will guide us, lead us day by day as we listen for his voice. Uh, Paul teaches in another letter that we are to walk in the spirit step by step as the spirit bears good fruit through our lives. It is not always easy to discern the things that I am to be doing in my life, those, what those good works are. And I can tell you very honestly that I have gone through seasons of my life 
where that has been very difficult. And together with my wife and trusted friends, I've had to wrestle with discernment, prayerfully reflecting on my abilities and gift, personality, passions, and so on. And each of us have to, as we're climbing up, trying to figure this out and discern that and walk in the ways and do the things that God has us to do. It's not always straightforward, and I don't want to make it sound like it is. And sometimes I've simply had to rest, rest in the knowledge that God has a plan and that I'm to trust him to reveal that in his timing as I simply follow one step at a time. Uh, one very important principle that my wife and I came upon, I can't even remember from who or where, but it was simply this reflection, what's the next right thing? What's the next right step in my life as I discern that before God and then go about doing that, trusting that the Good Shepherd will guide and lead and work according to his good love and grace. Uh, one final thought about good works from an old guy, about these good works that he's prepared for us to do. Don't despise the small things. Don't despise the small things. We live in a culture that loves the big things, the big numbers, the big wins. Big, of course, isn't bad. But neither is what we might perceive as small. The good works that God has prepared for us in advance come in all kinds of packages. It might be a phone call. It might be a visit. It might be initiating a conversation with a neighbor. It might be going on a mission trip. It might be serving in the nursery or the youth program. It might be helping set up for an event. It might be sharing your testimony with someone or in public. It might be as simple as listening well to a friend. The possibilities are endless. But know this, God has good works prepared in advance for each of you to do. How is your life oriented? Is it oriented around grace? Are, are you rooted deeply in the knowledge of God's grace for you? That he's done it all. And that you can rest in that. Be confident in that. Be certain of that. That you are God's masterpiece. God's handiwork. And that God has designed you for a purpose. Never doubt it. Never doubt it. Even as confused as you may be, God loves you and is at work in you to do and accomplish his will in the world as we listen and as we follow. Would you join me in prayer?
thank you, Father, that you remind us of these great truths that are not the truths we're, we're going to hear much in this world. Grace is this great gift. And Father, I pray that every person here would know deeply the grace of Jesus Christ. And out of that grace, know that they have been made new in God's sight and they are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece together and sometimes it certainly doesn't feel like it or look like it, but we take God at his word and know that through the wonder of grace, we are God's masterpiece. And out of that, we can serve joyfully, knowing that you are going to work your will and way through us in this world to accomplish your good and perfect will. Father, help us to be in tune to that. Give us discernment where we need it. Give us courage where we need it to follow, to do, to engage. Help us, Father, to thrive for you, for you have designed us for that. And we praise you in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.